0: Welcome to the Liberty Mindset. Come and explore some of the ideas and issues facing our liberty. 2022 is an election year. As libertarians, we ask that you consider voting in the Liberty Mindset. Welcome, and thank you for your time. Well, that's very cool. I just found out that The new video feature shows everything flipped so you can't read my hat i did have a flipped background to use so that was easy and i also need to start my or redo my uh um intro because it's no longer 2022 it's 2023 we're already a month in a month in plus and i haven't changed my uh intro very bad boy Welcome, everybody. This is the Liberty Mindset. We are broadcasting live on YouTube and um, call-in. And we're going to be going into Chapter 2 of uh, Planned Chaos. And later, this will be converted into a a podcast that will be available, a video podcast that will be available on video on Spotify. And I bet you that's going to be reversed, too, kind of thing of it. And... um, And also available on your audio podcast sites like Apple and Google, uh, the two most popular, other most popular, and I believe Amazon as well. Have to double check that. If there's not on Amazon, then there's no reason it shouldn't be. You can also catch me on Substack now at gregorh.substack.com where I post a link to these episodes and I also comment on them a bit and a little bit more about what we're reading, a little more about, about what I think. But today we're reading from Chapter Two from *Planned Chaos* by Ludwig von Mises. It was written in 1947 and rewritten in or uh, revised in 1949. And we're going to be reading from that Chapter Two. It's going to be a little bit longer read than last time, uh, just because there's a few extra pages in here. So. Yep, see? Backwards. Very cool. Yeah, they're going to have to fix that. Uh, i got to talk to them about that. We're going to just cut the video for now because that's kind of pointless. Okay. um, Chapter 2. The Dictatorial and Anti-Democratic and Socialist Character of Interventionism. Many advocates of interventionism are bewildered when one tells them that... recommending interventionism, they themselves are fostering anti-democratic and dictatorial tendencies and the establishment of totalitarian socialism. They protest that they are sincere believe believers and oppose tyranny and socialism. What they aim at is only an improvement of the conditions of the poor. They say they are driven by considerations of social justice in favor of fair distribution of income precisely because they are intent upon preserving capitalism and its political corollary of the superstructure busy these democratic government. What these people fail to realize is that various measures they suggest are not capable of bringing about the beneficial results aimed at. On the contrary, they produce a state of affairs which from the point of view of their advocates is worse than the previous state which they are designed to, inter- to alter. If the government faced with this failure is first in- of its first intervention is not prepared to undo its inter- interference with the market and to return to a free economy, it must add to its first measure more and more regulation and restrictions." proceeding step by step on this way to finally reaches a point in which all economic freedom of of individuals has disappeared. Then socialism of the German pattern, the Schwangerschaft, of the Nazis emerge. We have already mentioned the case of minimum wage rates. Let us illustrate this matter further by an analyst of the typical case of price control if the government wants to take take it uh, to make it i'm sorry i'm not reading well today if the government wants to make it possible for poor parents to give more milk to their children it must buy milk of, of the, at the market price and sell it to those poor people with lo- a loss at a cheaper rate the loss may be covered from the means collected by taxation but if the government simply fixes the price of milk at a lower rate than the market the results obtained will be Uh, contrary to the aims of the government. The marginal producers will, in order to avoid loss, go out of business of producing and selling milk. There will be less milk available for the consumers, not more. This outcome is contrary to the government's intentions. The government interference, because it considered milk as a vital necessity, it did not want to restrict its supply. Now the government has to face the alternative either to refrain from any endeavours to control prices or to add to its measure a second one i e to fix the prices of the factors of production necessary for the production of milk then the same story repeats itself on a remote on a remoter plane the government has begin, again to fix the prices of the factors of production necessary for the production of those factors of production which are needed for the production of milk thus the government has to go further and further fixing the prices of all the factors of production, both human, labor, and material, and forcing every entrepreneur and every worker to continue working at these prices and wages. No branch of the production can be omitted from this all-around fixing of prices and wages and this general order to continue production. If some branches of production were left free, the result would be a shifting of capital and labor to them and a corresponding fall of the supply of the goods whose prices the government had fixed. However, it is precisely these goods which the government considers as especially important for the satisfaction and needs of its masses. But when this state of all-around controlled business is achieved, the market economy has been replaced by a system of planned economy, by socialism. Of course, this is not socialism of an immediate state management of every plant by government as in Russia, but the socialism of the German or Nazi pattern. Many people were fascinated by the alleged success of the German price control. They said, you have only to be brutal and ruthless as the Nazis, and you will succeed in controlling prices. What these people, eager to fight Nazism by adopting its methods, did not see was that the Nazis did not enforce price control within a market society, but they established a full socialist system, a totalitarian commonwealth. Price control is contrary to the purpose of its limited to some... Commodities only. It cannot work satisfactorily within a market economy. If the government does not draw from its failures the conclusion that it must abandon all attempts to control prices, it must go further, further and further, until it substitutes socialist all-around planning for the market economy. Production can either be directed by the prices fixed on the market by the buying and by the by the buying and by the absent. abstention from buying on the part of the public, or it can be directed by the government central board of production management. There is no third solution available. There is no third so- social system feasible, which would be neither market economy nor socialism. Government control of only a part of prices must result in a state of affairs which, without any exception, everybody considers an absurd, as absurd and contrary to the purpose. The inevitable result is chaos and social unrest. It is this that the economists have have in mind in referring to economic law and assertion of the interventionism is contrary to economic law. In the market economy, the consumers are supreme. Their buying and their abstention from buying ultimately determine what the entrepreneurs produce and in what quantity and quality It determines directly the prices of the consumer's goods and indirectly the prices of all producers' goods vis-a-vis labor and material factors of production. It determines the emergence of profits and losses and the formation of a state of interest. It determines every individual's income. The focal point of the market economy is the market, i.e. the process of the formation of commodity prices wage rates, and interest rates, and their uh, derivatives, profits, and losses. It makes all men in their capacity as producers responsible to the consumers. This dependence is direct with entrepreneurs, capitalists, farmers, and professional men, and indirect with people working for salaries and wages. The market adjusts the efforts of all those engaged in supplying the needs of the consumers or the wishes of those for whom they produce. The consumer, it's subject production to consumption. The market is a democracy in which every penny gives a right to vote. It is true that the various individuals have not the same power to vote. The richer man casts more ballots than the poor fellow. But to be rich and to earn a higher income is, in the market economy, already the outcome of a uh, previous election. The only means to acquire wealth and to preserve it in a market economy is, not, uh, not adulterated by government-made privileges and restrictions, is to serve the consumer in the best and cheapest way. Capitalists and landowners who fail in this regard suffer losses. If they do not change their, produ- their procedure, they lose their wealth and become poor. It is consum- consumers who make poor people rich and rich people poor. It is the consumers who fix the wages of a movie star and an opera singer at a higher level than those of a welder or an accountant. Every individual is free to disagree with the outcome of an election, campaign, or the market, or the market process. But in a democracy, he, is no, he has no other means to alter things than persuasion. If a man were to say, "I do not like the major elected, uh, the mayor elected by majority vote. Therefore, I ask the government to replace him by the man I prefer," one would hardly call him a democrat, small D democrat. But if the same claims are raised with regard to market, most people are too dull to discover the dictatorial aspirations involved. The consumers have made their choices and determined the income of the shoe manufacturer, the movie star, and the welder. Who is Professor X to, er- to arrogate to himself the privilege of overthrowing their, des- their decision? If he were not a potential dictator, he would not ask the government to interfere he would try to persuade his fellow citizens to increase their demand for the products of the welders and to reduce their demand for the shoes and pictures. The consumers are not prepared to pay for cotton prices, which would render the marginal farms, i.e., those producing under the least favorable conditions, profitable. This is a very unfortunate indeed for the farmers concerned. They must uh, discontinue growing cotton and try to irrigate, try to integrate themselves. In another way, into the whole production. But what shall we think of the statesman who interferes by in- compulsion in order to raise the price of cotton above the level it would reach on the free market? What the intervention aims to do is the substitution of a uh, police, uh, is the substitution of police pressure for the choice of the consumers. All this talk: the states should do this or that ultimately means the police should force consumers to behave otherwise than they would have spontaneously. In such proposals as, let us raise farm prices, let us raise wage rates, let us lower profits, let us curtail salaries with executives, the us ultimately refers to the police. Yet the authors of these projects protect uh, protest that they are planning for freedom and industrial democracy, small d. In most non-socialist countries, the labor unions are granted special rights. They are permitted to prevent non-members from working. They are allowed to call a strike and, when on strike, are virtually free to employ violence against all those who prepare to continue working, viz. the strike breakers. This system assigns an ultimate privilege to those engaged in vital branches of industry. Those workers whose strike cuts off supply of water, light, food, and other necessities are in a position to obtain all they want at the expense of the rest of the population. It is true that in the United States, their unions have up to now exercised some moderation in taking advantage of the opportunity. Other American unions and many European unions have been less cautious. They are intent upon enforcing wage increase without bothering about the disaster inevitable. Inevitably resulting, the interventionists are not shrewd enough to realize that labor union pressure and compulsion are absolutely incompatible with any system of social organization. The union problem has no reference whatsoever to the right of the citizens to associate with one another in assemblies and associations. No democratic county country denies its citizens this right. Neither does anybody dispute a man's right to stop work and to go on strike the only question is whether or not the unions should be granted the privilege of restoring with impunity to violence this privilege is no less incompatible with socialism this privilege is no less incompatible with socialism than with capitalism no socialism no social cooperative under the division of labor is possible when some people or unions of people are granted the right to prevent by violence and the threat of violence other people from working When enforced by violence, a strike in vital branches of production or a general strike are tantamount to a revolutionary destruction of society. A government indicates if it tolerates any non-government agency's use of violence. If the government's forsaken its monopoly of coercion and compulsion, anarchic conditions result. If it were true that democratic systems of government is unfit to produce unconditionally every individual's right to work in in defiance of the order of unions, Democrats would be doomed. I'm sorry, democracy would be doomed. Then dictatorship would be the only means to preserve the division of labor and to avoid anarchy. What generated dictatorships in Russia and Germany was precisely the fact that the mentality of these nations made suppression of union violence unfeasible and under democratic conditions. The dictators abolished strikes and thus broke the spine of labor unions, labor unionism. There is no question of strikes in the Soviet uh, empire. It is illusionary to believe that arbitration of labor disputes would bring the unions into the framework of the market economy and make their functioning compatible with the preservation of domestic peace. Judicial settlement of controversies is feasible if there is a set of rules available according to which individual case can be judged. But such a code is valid and its provisions are applied to the determination of the height and wage of rates, it is no longer the market which fixes them, but the code and those who legislate with regard to it. Then the government is supreme and no longer the consumer buying and selling on the market. If no such code exists, a standard according to which controver- uh, controversy between employer and employees would be decided is lacking. It is vain to speak of fair wages in the absence of such a code. The notions of fairness is nonsensical if not related to an established standard. In practice, if the employers do not yield to the threats of the unions, arbitration is tantamount to the determination of wage rates by the government appointed Arbitrator. Preemptory authoritarian decision is substituted for the market price. The issue is always the same, the government or the market. There is no third solution. Metaphors are often very useful in in elucidating complicated problems and making them comprehensible to less intelligent minds, but they become misleading and result in nonsense if people forget the very comparison is imperfect. It is silly to take metaphorical idioms literally and to deduce from their interpretation features of the object from uh, one wished to make more easily understandable by their use. There is no harm in the economists' description of the operation of the market as automatic and in their customers' speaking and the uh, anonymous forces operating on the market. They could not anticipate that anybody would be so stupid as to take these metaphors literally. No, quote, "automatic, end quote, or quote, "anonymous forces actuate the mechanism for the market. The only factors directing the market and determining prices are, pur- are purposive acts of men. There is no auto- There is no automation. Sorry, there is no automatism. There are men consciously aiming at ends chosen and deliberately restoring to definite means for the attainment of these ends. There is no mysterious mechanical forces. There is only the will of every individual to satisfy the demand for various goods. There is no anonymity. There are you and I and Bill and Joe and all the rest, and each of us is engaged in both in a production and consumption. Each contributes his share to the ter- determination of prices. The dilemma is not between the automatic forces and the planned action. It is between the democratic process of the market in which every individual has his share and the exclusive rule of the dictatorial body. Whatever people do in the market economy is the execution of their own plans. In this sense, every human action means planning. What those calling themselves planners advocate is not the substitute of a planned action for the letting things go. It is a substitution of the planner's own plan for the plans of his fellow men. The planner is a potential dictator who wants to deprive all other people of the power to plan and to act according to their own plans. He aims at one thing only, the exclusive absolute preeminence of his own plan. And I just lost my place. Very cool. Yes, now you see what happens when a reader loses his place using an electronic version. And I'm almost there. Let's see, it is less erroneous to declare the government that is not socialistic has no plan. Whatever a government does is the execution of a plan, i.e. a design. One may disagree with such plan, but one uh, one must not say it is not a plan at all. Professor Wesley C. Mitchell maintained that the British uh, liberal government planned to have no plan. However, the British government in the the free and... uh, in the liberal age certainly had a definite plan its plan was private ownership of the means of production free init- uh, initiative and market economy great britain was very prop- prosperous indeed under this plan which according to professor mitchell is quote no plan the planners pretend that their plans are scientific and that they cannot be disagreed with in regard to them among well-intended and dis- uh, decent people However, there is no such thing as a scientific ought. Science is competent to establish what is. It can never dictate what ought to be, and what ends people should aim at. It is in fact that men disagree in their values judgments. It is insolent and arrogant for oneself the right to overrule the plans of other people and to enforce them to submit to the plan of the planner. Whose plan should be executed? The plan of the CIO? or those of any other group. The plan of Trotsky, or that of Stalin. The plan of Hitler, or that of Strasser. When people were committed to the idea that in the field of religion only one plan must be adopted, bloody wars resulted with the acknowledgement of the principle of religious freedom. These wars ceased. The market economy safeguards peaceful economic cooperation because it does not use force upon the economic plans of the citizens. If one masters uh, master plan is a substitute for the plans of each citizen, endless fighting must emerge. Those who disagree with the dictator's plan have no other means to carry on than to defeat the despot by force of arms. It is an illusion to believe that a system of planned socialism could be operated according to democratic methods of government. Democracy is inter- inexorably linked with capitalism. It cannot exist where there is planning. Let us refer to the words of the most eminent of the contemporary advocates force of socialism. Professor Harold Lasky declared that the attainment of power by the British Labour Party in the normal parliamentary fashion must result in a radical transformation of parliamentary government. A socialist administration needs guarantees that, it work, that its work of transforming would not be disrupted, a repeal in the event of defeat of the polls, Therefore, the suspension of the Constitution is inevitable. How pleased would Charles I and George III have been if they had known the books of uh, Professor Lasky? Sidney and Beatrice Webb, Lord and Lady Passfield, tell us that in, quote, in any corp- uh, corporate action, a loyal unity of thought is so important that if anything is to be achieved, Public discussion must be suspended between the promulgation of the decision and the accomplishment of the risk. End quote. Whilst, quote, the work's in progress, end quote, any expression of doubt or even fear of the plan will be successful is, quote, an act of disloyalty or even treachery, end quote. Now, as a process of production never ceases and some work is always in progress and there is always something to be achieved, it follows that a socialist government must never concede any freedom of speech and that and the press quote a loyal unity of thought end quote what is a high sounding cir- uh, circum okay good word circumlocution of the idea of philip ii and the inquisition in his regard another eminent admirer of the soviets mr tg crowther speaks without any reserve He plainly declares that Inquisition is, quote, beneficial to science when it uh, protects a rising class, end quote, i.e. when Mr. Crother's friends resort to it. Hundreds of similar dicta could be quoted. In the the Victorian age, when John Stuart Mill wrote his essay on liberty, such views as those held by Professor Lasky, Mr. and Mrs. Webb, and Mr. Crother were called reactionary. Today, they are called progressive and liberal. On the other hand, people who oppose the suspension of parliamentary government and the freedom of speech and the press and the establishment of inquisition are scorned as, quote, reactionaries, end quote, as economic royalists and as fascists. Those interventionists who consider the interventionism as a method of bringing about full socialism step by step are at least consistent. If the measure adopted to... uh, If the measure adopted fail to achieve the beneficial results, expected in an end in disaster, they ask for more and more government interference until the government has taken over the uh, direction of all economic activities. But those interventionists who look at interventionism as a means of improving capitalism, thereby uh, preserving it, are utterly confused. In the eyes of these people, all the understanding and undesirable effects of government interference with businesses are caused by capitalism. The very act that a governmental measure has brought about a state of affairs which they dislike is for them a justification of further measures. They fail, for instance, to realize that the, role scheme, that the role monopolistic schemes play in our times is the effect of government interference, such as tariffs and patents. They advocate government action for the prevention of monopoly. One would hardly imagine a more unrealistic idea. For the governments whom they ask to fight monopoly are the same governments who are devoted to the principle of monopoly. Thus, the American New Deal government embarked upon a, a thorough, monopolistic organization of every branch of American business by the National Retail Act and aimed at organizing American farming as a vast monopolistic scheme, restricting farm output for the sake of subst- substituting monopoly prices for the lower market prices. It was a, it was a party to various international commodity control agreements, an undisguised aim which was to establish international monopolies of various commodities. The same is true of all other governments. The Union of Soviet Socialist Republics was also a part of the, some of these in, intergovernmental monopolistic conventions. It is repugnance of collaboration with the capitalistic countries was not so great as to cause it to miss any opportunity for fostering a monopoly. The program of the self-contradictory interventionism is dictatorship, supposedly to make people free, but the liberty it supports to advocate is liberty to do the quote right thing, i.e. the things they themselves want to be done. They are not only ignorant of the economic problem involved, They lack the faculty of logical thinking. The most absurd justification of interventionism is provided by those who look upon the conflict between capitalism and socialism as if it were a contest over the distribution of income. Why should not the uh, property classes be more compliant? Why should they not accord to the poor workers a part of their ample revenues? Why should they oppose the government's design to raise the share of the underprivileged by Decreeing minimum wage rates and maximizing prices by cutting profits and interest rates down to a fairer level. Playability in such matters, they say, would take the wind from the sails of the radical revolutionaries and preserve capitalism. The worst enemies of capitalism, they say, are those intransigent doctrina- uh, doctrinaries whose excessive advocacy of economic freedom, of laissez-faire and Manchesterism renders vain all attempts to come to a compromise with the claims of labor. These adamant reactionaries are alone responsible for the bitterness and contemporary party strife and the implacable hatred it generates. What is needed in the uh, substitution of a constructive program for the purely negative attitude of the economic royalists, and of course constructive, is in the eyes of these people only interventionism. However, this mode of reasoning is entirely vicious, it takes for granted that the various measures of government interference and in businesses will attain those beneficial results which they advocates, advocates expected from them. It blithely disregards all the economics uh, It blithely disregards all that economics says about their futility in attaining the, the ends sought and their unavoidable and undesirable consequences. The question is not whether minimum wage rates are fair or unfair but whether or not they bring about unemployment or a part of those uh, eager to work. By calling these measures just, the interventionist does not refute the objections raised against the expediency by the economists. He merely displays ignorance of the questions at issue. The conflict between capitalism and socialism is not a contest between two groups of claimants concerning the size and portions of the allotted to each other. Uh, to each of them, out of the definitions, uh, out of the definite supply of goods. It is a dispute concerning what system of social organization best serves human welfare. Those fighting socialism do not reject socialism because they envy the workers, the benefits the workers could allegedly derive from the socialist mode of production. They fight socialism precisely because they are convinced that it would harm the masses of reduce, in reducing them to the state of poor serfs, entirely at the mercy of the irresponsible dictators. In this conflict of opinions, everybody must make up the mind and make a definite stand. Everybody must side either with the advocates of economic freedom or with those of totalitarianism socialism. One cannot evade this dilemma by adopting an allegedly middle-of-the-road position, namely interventionism, for interventionism is neither middle way nor a compromise between capitalism and socialism. It is a third system, it is a system, the absurdity and futility of which is agreed upon not only by all economists, but even by the Marxians. There is no such thing as excessive advocacy of economic freedom. On the one hand, production can be directed by efforts of each individual to adjust their conduct so as to fill the most urgent wants of the consumers in the most uh, appropriate way. This is the market economy. On the other hand, production can be directed by authoritarian decree. If these decrees, concern only from some isolated items of the economic structure, they fail to attain the ends sought, and their own advocates do not like their outcomes. If they come up with an all-around regimentation, they mean totalitarian socialism. Men must choose between market economy and socialism. The state can preserve the market economy, in protecting life, health, and private property against violent or fraudulent aggression, or it can itself control the conduct of all production activities. Some agency must determine what should be produced. If it is not the consumers by means of demand and supply on the market, it must be the government by compulsion. Okay, and that concludes Chapter 2. On... The Lovely Joys of Capitalism. Intergalactic. Thank you, yes, I'm a big intergalactic fan. Um, So capitalism can't be regulated. As soon as you do, it turns into something else. Um... It's a cry and shame. We haven't learned that yet. Uh, The book talks about the National uh, Retail Act. Um, The book abbreviated that as the NRA. I chose to read out the full name because, well, we have a different thought of the NRA right now. Um, But I don't know if anybody knows their history well enough, but uh, Woodrow Wilson worked really hard at trying to get prices dictated to a certain level, and all it did was exacerbate and cause uh, the Great Depression. Um, We find, you know, fruits and vegetables being destroyed, people starving, it just makes no sense. And we've tried it over and over again uh, to make things right through legislation. And the sad part is we can't do that. A couple of events coming up on Monday. I'm Speaking with Dr. Jason Dean, um, this fellow I tried to have a conversation with and had some technical issues. He's agreed to come back. I'll spend about an hour with him at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time here on Call-In and on YouTube. And also uh, then next Wednesday, I will do chapter three, which is called Socialism and Communism from the book. So we'll take a little look at both of those things. So those of you who have joined me today, thank you very much for coming. Um, No callers in the queue, so I will go ahead and bid farewell after my 30-minute read. Thanks everybody for joining me, and remember, seek the truth and stay curious.